What's up, everybody? Welcome. Welcome to the Artist of Data Science Happy Hour. It is Friday, July 29th, 2022. We took a break last week, but man, we are back at it. This is happy hour number 90. I wish I could say do this 90 weeks straight, but you know, there's a week or two years here or there. But still, in 10 weeks, it'll be episode number 100 of the happy hours. And I couldn't be happier to have all you guys here with me um, hanging out. Uh, good to see everybody here. Shout out to everyone in the building. Christian, what's going on? Serge in the building, Russell, Tashi, Costa, uh, Auntie, what's going on? Jay, what's going on? Vin, Vin, good to see you again, man. It's a couple weeks ago, man, I was driving with Vin to uh, San Francisco, just kicking it, going to, the, going to the, uh, the Giants game. Vin, thank you so much for setting, setting that up, man. Dude, you guys could not believe these tickets that Vin got. We're literally right behind home plate, uh, to the left, uh, nothing in front of us but the dugout. Uh, amazing seats. That was my first time at uh, at Oracle Field, AT&T Park, whatever it is you want to call it. So, Vin, thank you so much for that experience. That was amazing. Um, so, no podcast episode was released this week because, as you know, we're on a hiatus. I ran out of um, you know new episodes, uh, but we will be back soon um, on August 11th. I'm doing a live stream that will also be a part of the uh, podcast episodes as well. That will be released that uh, following week um, but we're, we're getting back into it man getting back into it uh basement is coming along nicely um all the infrastructure is there like like literally it's put back together i just need all my content uh, so we're working our way through that so hopefully hopefully next week uh, you'll see the new improved basement um if not next week then the week after but i cannot wait to, to get back to the uh the studio man uh, i feel like i've been a nomad for the last like six months um if you guys got questions Feel free to drop your questions right there in the chat, whether you're watching on LinkedIn or on YouTube, I will get to your questions. So feel free to drop it there. Uh, in the meantime, let's uh, let's tackle this question. Man, I don't have any questions to kick off the stream with. Uh, uh, how about this? How about who's- I have one. I'll take questions. Go for it. Thank you for All right, so- Thank you. I was just actually browsing your content, Harpreet, and- um, I, I not getting a data science job or a data engineering job, but if you already have a job, I guess, how can you approach a company or recruiter who's looking for, maybe you're going for shooting for the stars, you know, shooting for a manager data architect type role. Um, how do you go about proving to that company that just because you may have only like three to four years of experience that you may be a good fit for that role when they're looking for someone with maybe eight to 10 that is an excellent question, dude. Like, I remember the first time I got like a lead data scientist role, like three weeks into the job, I started applying for like chief data scientist roles because why the hell not? I'm, I'm, already, I'm already lead data scientist. Let's see, if, <laughs> let's see if you'll have any data scientists. Um, but, you know, I'm going to defer to Vin for this for sure because he does a lot about, you know, writes a lot about it on this topic. But my personal opinion is this, like, you shouldn't let a job description like hold you back from even applying for the job, right? So that's that's one thing. Like, there's nothing barring you barring you from actually going for it and applying for the role. Uh, do it anyways. Um, the next part is okay. How do I convince the company that I've got the skills? Right, three or four years sure. like, might not sound like a lot of experience, but that's a that's a long time. Three or four years, you can you can learn a lot and rack a lot under your belt as long as it's not the six months the same six months of experience repeated eight times right right over the course of four four years type of thing um so as long as you're continuing to just 
expand your skill set and like doing the research, uh, joining communities, like sharing your experience, like leveraging other people's experience in your work. Um, I think you can make up that gap, but let's go to Vin first and then um, would love to hear from anybody else. If anybody else wants to jump in on the topic, feel free to raise your hand and um, I'll add you to the queue, but Vin, go for it. I think the most important thing to realize is that it's not always about skills. When you start talking about those higher level roles, especially a leadership role, we're not talking about somebody who's as technical as much as they are a leader. And so you have to start showcasing your ability to lead people. And the first thing that you do is you lead without authority. You lead with no title. And that's, that's how people find leaders, is they start seeing people who don't need the title. And they can still build coalitions. They can get people to work together towards a common purpose. They can communicate for impact, meaning that you sit down, you have communication objectives, you achieve those objectives. You can get people to come to some sort of a consensus and move forward to actually be in a meeting. And instead of it being a giant one hour waste, you've actually created some value, which is a rare capability, but these are all traits of leaders. So if you're going from individual contributor to leader, no matter if you have three years of experience or eight years of experience landing that first leadership role, it's just as hard. There's just as much to demonstrate in order to get that promotion. So when you talk about, you know, I've got three years of experience from an individual contributor standpoint going to a leader, you are no different really than somebody with eight years of experience who is an individual contributor trying to become a leader because you're never going to be the most technical person. The whole point is to hire people that are smarter than you. Because, you know, you can't be the smartest person on the team because then you're a limiting factor. And so you're never going to be the most technical. And it, it really doesn't matter at that point. You just need to be able to understand data science, understand the role, understand the technologies. But more importantly, you need to be a leader. If you're looking to become an architect or really senior architect, that's where it's very difficult. Because companies are so biased towards years of experience. They don't... Uh, that's kind of the, the barrier in front of a whole lot of very qualified people is that you have HR requirements and then you have like actual team and business requirements. And HR's perception of years of experience equal competence is the biggest one to overcome. And a lot of times that's reputation. And so instead of approaching the hiring manager, put yourself in a position to be discovered by hiring managers. Put yourself in a position where your expertise as an architect is showcased in some way, shape or form, where you begin to, and I mean, this is where I went from being sort of a, I don't know, semi-expert to actual expert is when other people started pointing at my work and saying, that's, that's a good idea. That's, yeah, that's a better way to do things. That's, that's a new way to think about it. And I like that. When you start getting that sort of feedback from people, that's when you'll have recruiters approaching you for more senior roles. And that's how you can showcase that even if you have three or four years of experience, everybody advances in our field at a different pace. And that not every hiring manager understands that. There are some people that have three years of battlefield experience and they learn really quickly what works and what doesn't. And then you have people with eight years of fairly stagnant experience where they were working on low-end projects and so where they are at year three and where they are at year eight not really a big difference so it's really about showcasing so like let's say you're kind of 
new in your first role as a data scientist or you're kind of you know new in, in the first senior role uh what's like one small thing you can do or maybe small thing or maybe one leadership let me rephrase this what's one leadership competency you could start working towards developing as soon as you get your first data science role convert the angriest user you can find if you can get the angriest user to start liking your product that's it, honestly that is a lot you're going to go through a lot of the leadership capabilities in just converting that one inter don't go to customers i mean an internal user the one person who truly doesn't believe in data science or the one person who's had a bad experience with reporting or with uh, you know a model based product that you provided some sort of automation go to them and convert them back because you're going to have to be an excellent communicator you're gonna have to build a coalition you're going to have to rebuild trust you're, i mean all of the things that you need to do to lead without authority when you convert somebody who is a detractor to either neutral or a promoter, that's what you can do. Russell, uh, let's hear from you and uh, maybe Serge, uh, John, if you want to jump in or uh, Jay, anybody wants to jump in, feel free to. Uh, Russell, you got a good comment here in the chat. So go for it. Yeah, thanks, Harpy. Uh, so I was just saying that the, the ability to translate between all of the different levels of the data ecosystem from like the deepest data science, machine learning um, tasks right the way up to executive consumption. Who wants just, you know, a, a really high level KPI report is a super skill. So that's that's kind of what I do now. So I, I, I'm, I'm not really in the, uh, the, the coding, the data science uh, or, or the machine learning stuff. Um, so much right now, uh, but I translate between all of those different levels. So I'm more of a, a business analyst, data engineer hybrid than a, than a data scientist uh, right now. But the, the biggest in demand skill that I have is forming that translation. So speaking to the executive consumers, finding out what they want and then knowing how to technically present that to the data science team so they can build it rather than have the uh, the executive consumer go to the team and expect them to to be understood it's uh because they kind of speak two different languages so the ability to translate is uh is huge yeah Serge, um, let's hear from you well i i think it's it's all about respect um and uh if you gain respect from the from the executives that's that's great that's much needed uh, but at the same time you have to have respect from uh the data scientists working the team with you because then they'll uh they'll trust the decisions you make uh the every choice you make and it, you know and it doesn't have to be not questioned of course they can question it but it's just a question of of also be able to do it as smoothly as possible so that you you can rally the troops when needed if something is of of urgency you don't want any hesitation in those moments and uh, it, it also goes a long way as far as like big, big asks, whether it's like, um, you know, having them work a little bit over time or, or do something they don't want to do because it's outside of their comfort zone. It'll be a hell lot easier if, if they respect you. And I, I think that's the one quality as a leader you have to cultivate. Um, well, there's many more, but it's an important one like a, a keystone cornerstone type of quality. Uh, Christian, 
uh, give you a chance to ask any follow-up questions. Um, uh, you guys in the room here, you guys watching on LinkedIn or YouTube, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them out in the chat. Be happy to take them. Yeah, it's like, too, as an engineer, like I'm very siloed right now, you know, big company structure. So how, you know, like learning the business and like something my data mentor, my former boss, actually at my previous company, um, you know, he was telling me like the ability to actually understand how the business operates is a critical, you know, piece, like, like people have been saying here to actually being a data leader. So how, like, how would you recommend going about maybe understanding the business operationally, if you're a little bit more shielded from that as an engineer? Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to take the cop out answer and say, talk to people. But I'd, I'd say there's even a deeper question that it's not even like, okay, it's how the business operates, maybe try to figure out um, like what parts of the business operations do you need to concern yourself with the most? I know that's also a cop out answer, but let's go to Coast Up, then after Coast Up, uh, let's hear from uh, Vin. If anybody else wants to, uh, to, to chime in here, by all means, use the uh, raise your hand um, feature there. I'll add you to the queue, but Coast Up, love to hear from you. And then we'll go to uh, Vin after that. And then uh, since Mikiko's in here, I'm going to definitely get Mikiko in on answering this question. So Christian, you might want to type out your question again in the uh, chat. Okay. So, so this is something I learned as a graduate engineer at ResMed on my first job. Basically, when I joined their product management team for six months, right? So it was a stint in product management so that I can understand how the business operates and how things happen at a business level, not just at a technical level for what I need, right? So the two things they got me to do in my first week, uh, first couple of weeks, was um, take the product that I'd be mostly focusing on, one that hadn't released to market yet, and basically put together a essentially a lean business canvas, like a one-page business canvas for it. I'd never heard of this before. I'd never heard of a business canvas before. So you don't need to have heard of it before. There's like a seven-minute video on YouTube that basically explains the basics, and most of it is logic, right? Most of it is fairly self-explanatory. Just apply a bit of logic to it. Fill out as much as you can. And the second thing is a BCG matrix, right? Uh, look up BCG matrix. Essentially, it's market share versus um, market growth, right? And where does this product or where does the business fall within this space, right? So when you really think about those two things, you're thinking about, hey, what's the overall business model? What are, what's the business interested in? What are the limitations of the business? What's the opportunities for the business? Um, you know, what's the real value add that the business is going for, right? If you know that, and then you understand the risk potential from the BCG matrix, like you understand where are we right now in market share and what's the potential for growth? Is this an outright gamble? Is this a sure thing? Are you working on a product that's been around 20 years and they're just milking money? They're not really keen on investing much more in it. Uh, they just want to reduce costs a bit. Um, or are they talking about something where, it's growing, it's growing fast, and they're pushing more money to make it grow even faster, right? Understand that, and you understand kind of the context behind which the executive team is looking at uh, the area that you're working in. And you might not work across an entire company. You might not be answering to C-suite. You might be answering to a director of product marketing in a particular, at a particular level, or a VP of a particular business unit, right? So understand the context of a business unit within the entire company, or if it's a small enough company, understand the context of that company within the market 
right? So when you understand that, you quickly understand what the priorities are. And what I do is I do this in my first month at most jobs, right? I figure these two things out and then I book in like a 45 minute meeting with the product manager or with any of the product managers, project managers, someone who has that, uh, who's in touch with the business understanding of the whole situation, uh, usually much, much better than I am. And they've done these things a hundred times. And I tell them, okay, I've been thinking about this. Have a look at mine. How does it line up to what the actual business plan is? And they typically would have either created like a old school giant business plan that they'd summarize for you, or they would have created something like this that they can kind of show you anyway. Right. And just getting their opinions you align really, really quickly. And you learn a lot about business in general, but you align really, really quickly to uh, what their expectations are. Right. And that's often a more structured way of approaching it than conversations that sometimes takes weeks and weeks and weeks to line up and actually get conversations going, uh, especially when you're working remotely. Now I've had to do this uh, when I started a job during the pandemic last year and doing it remotely, having this structured approach meant that I had a reason for that conversation as opposed to, hey, let's just chat about business, right? Um, and often that's a better use of time even within like a small company context, like a startup context. Um, so yeah, uh, business canvas, BCG matrix, give it a shot. Worst, thing, worst case, they're gonna say, hey, you're completely wrong. Here's what it actually is. And then you get the answer anyway. Best case, you nailed it. And then you've just earned a lot of essentially brownie points in the eyes of the product manager. And they see you as someone who's, hey, this guy's not just a technical hound. He actually knows, has a, a head on his shoulders, right? Um, and you know, average case, you're improving your business understanding either way. And it applies to every business, every product, every service. Doesn't matter, those two things, you can line them up in some way. Super useful, man. Thank you so much, Costa. BCG Matrix, there's a link to that uh, right there in the chat. Uh, we'll also be linked to the show notes as well as on LinkedIn there. Uh, I think I'm going to be using this over the weekend. Costa, thank you so much for that. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to John, and then after uh, John, let's go to Kiko. Then after Kiko, let's go to Ben. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this uh, topic. Um, John, go for it. Hey, thanks for taking my thanks for having me. Um, I kind of think about this in context of uh, the domain. I work in the talent acquisition space as a data scientist. And I have to spend a lot of time maintaining awareness of what the job market looks like, what are the challenges, and then go and ensure that I'm sitting in discussions and meetings, like town halls as they as they come up to hear how the business is facing some of these challenges because we get requests for products and we could build features all day, but it might have zero relevance, you know, to the domain. So having that kind of um, touching, touching it in that way has been really helpful. I know that the, the last comments were kind of from a product, um, specific perspective, but at least in, in like the HR and TA space, I, I feel like, um, it, it changes quite a bit as all of us know, uh, the nature of work is changing. And so some of those considerations come up and a lot of that, um, soft skill, comes into play of reaching out. I do reach out to people a lot and try to network and make those connections to say, hey, what, you know, if you were doing this project, what would you consider important or what would you be worried about or what would you want to see um, just to help drive innovation in, in the products and to ensure that we're not missing something. So just kind of a, in addition to that. 
John, thanks so much. Really appreciate that. Uh, Nikiko, let's, let's uh, hear from you. Then after Nikiko, we'll go to uh, Ben. Uh, by the way, if you guys have questions or comments, feel free to drop your questions right there in the chat. If you have comments, use the uh, raise your hand feature. Uh, same goes for anybody watching on YouTube or on LinkedIn. Happy to take your questions and I uh, would love to hear your comments. Go for it. Yeah, so I think um, it's good to kind of separate out sort of the different layers of understanding of how a, how a business works, how a company works. I mean, first off, there's like the industry. So for example, most healthcare, health tech companies are gonna be very, very similar. They're gonna be more similar to each other than say they would like an e-commerce company. Or um, for example, I worked at a solar company that was like a pretty unique experience. Cause it was like both almost like the hard, it was like a hardware company plus like a finance company where you had people from Wall Street, you know, went to Yale business, you know, like Yale, Harvard undergrad, then went to Wharton and then went to go work on Wall Street, you know, so like there's that layer of like, what, what industry are you in? The second part is like the, how is the company making money? Like following the money trail? What's the business model that they are? Are they a marketplace? Are they B2B, B2C? If they are like, once again, like a lot of those are going to have like a B2B company is going to operate much more similar to other B2B companies than like a B2C company, for example. Um, and then the third layer is like the the, the politics. Um, that's kind of an important part of like how a lot of companies operate. Um, for better or worse, we've seen that in the last like couple months, um, you know, with some companies having, it seems like cronyism, which then impacts kind of how the company is run. And then it impacts like the company's like value and shares. So I like to first try to understand it from like different layers. There's like the human animal relationship layer, which at the C-suite becomes really, really important. It honestly, sometimes it's just more important than actual metrics, um, you know, and uh, the, the learning lesson for me what, when I was working at like certain companies where I worked very closely with the C-suite, the, the C-suite was, one VP told me like, he's like, the deal is never made at, at the board. He's like, the deal is never made in the boardroom. It always happens outside the boardroom. The boardroom is just the theatrics for which something is presented. Um, usually the leader of the VCs would have had a separate conversation with like the leaders of the company and then all the other bellwether sort of board members or like all the other follower board, board members and investors will then just kind of go like, yeah, that's a great idea. They'll just follow, right? So I think it's important to understand like those three layers in terms of understanding like the industry and like the, um, how the company makes money, you can get that information in a lot of different ways. Um, from, in terms of the industry, you can get it from like industry reports. You can get it from, um, I don't know, reading Gawker sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like the business model, that's something where you can once again, like you can look at kind of like how the company, what, what products and services the company is offering, how they're pricing it. You can even also try signing up for like an employee account too. So for example, at MailChimp, um, employees can sign up to use MailChimp services. And that gives you a really good understanding of like what happens, especially if you're a small business owner that's using our products. Um, from the human relationship politics standpoint, I think a lot of times you get that from talking to lots of people and being very empathetic. And I feel like it is just as important to understand that within a company 
as is to understand like the industry that it's in and also the, the business model. But for example, if you're as an engineer trying to figure out like, well, where can I kind of contribute and drive value? Um, it's human, re human relationships and how the business makes money. Those two, I feel like are always gonna be the most important. Industry is kind of like interesting, but like, for example, like understanding the sales funnel for like B2C, you can then apply it to other B2C companies. And the problems are gonna be very similar. Churn, conversion, like, you know, spend, a lot of that just does not change. The terminology they use might become very different. So like, oh, ARR versus like MAUs, like monthly active users versus like annual revenue, annual recurring revenue, right? Like these are all just different ways to measure, okay, how much money do we have and how much engagement do we have? Um, so that's kind of like my way of understanding, my way of getting that understanding is a lot of times talking to people. Sometimes you can read the, the, the K-10s, I think is what it's called, um, which is the company reports. Honestly, those things, it's, especially for like a really big company, like say Walmart or Amazon, those things are going to be like a hundred pages long. So if you can get through it, First off, you'll have a lot more information than like most of your peers will simply because you were not lazy and you actually went and read it, um, you know, as well as like, not necessarily those product town hall updates, but like the actual stuff that they send out to customers, like the emails, that's the best way to like the actual like customer um, communication. It's really good to kind of get that and to sign up for that um, if you can for your own sort of company services. Um, yeah. Then let's uh, hear from you. Thank you, Nikiko, appreciate that. Yeah, it, already a lot of the good points have been made, especially doing the, the business model canvas or doing any sort of, you know, minimum viable product or any sort of startup uh, business evaluation frameworks. Those are all really good. So Costa kind of nailed one of the best ones. Mikiko saying, you know, listen to the quarterly reports. Those are unreal. What you, what you're going to get by doing those is a picture of where the business is now and a little bit of the history of the business. All that's really important context. The most important part about a business is where does it want to be in two years? Where does it want to be in five years? And so if you really want to understand the dynamics of the business, obviously you need the background, you need the as is, but you want to read analyst reports. If you're a publicly traded company or if you have startup investors, analysts will typically cover the company and they will put out more objective reports. When you listen to your quarterly filings and your quarterly reports, those are your company trying to put the best face forward possible, unless you're Intel who... I don't know, kind of shot themselves this week in their quarterly report. I don't know why they were so mean, but they were really mean to themselves this year. Um, but it, normally you'll get the best view of the company from the quarterly. But if you listen to analysts, they'll tell you what the real challenges are because they're not just looking at the way the company's working. They're talking to customers. They're looking at the macro factors. They're looking at the narrative that the company is giving out of where it wants to go. And the analysts are saying, well, okay, so I believe this. I don't buy this. I need to hear more to understand how this is actually going to be executed. I believe in leadership or their leadership team is questionable. Those are all really, really good things to know because what Makiko was talking about with politics, you could be part of a company where the current leadership team is on the way out or they've just recently been brought in 
And both of those have different types of cultures. You could be a company who is a challenger trying to enter a marketplace and establish dominance in it. You could be a company that is losing their position like where Microsoft was about 10 years ago. It's an understanding where they are is important, but it's also you want to look at where the company is going and try to listen to as many different perspectives on that as possible because that's what you're getting paid for. It's not so much to keep the company where it is right now. Your job is to take the company to where it needs to be. That could be evolving your skills, your capabilities. It could mean positioning yourself so your career aligns with the capabilities that the business needs now and in the near-term future. A lot of those things are going to put you ahead of everyone else because you're going to see change coming. And you're going to be preparing yourself for where the company's going. You're also going to be talking in a completely different language. You're not going to be talking about what the company is doing right now. You're going to understand from a prioritization standpoint where the company needs to be. And so what initiatives, what work that you're doing contributes to that and what work that you're doing maybe doesn't, which when you're in engineering is really important to understand because you can find yourself on a team that's a high value contributing to right now, a lot of companies are refocusing on core business. That's a great team to be on. If the company is all in on growth, which not many companies are anymore, if you're on one of those growth teams, your career could be in trouble. You may want to be transitioning into. And so you can hear the dynamics that I'm kind of talking about. You understand based on where the company talks about going and where analysts are saying, "Eh, yeah, maybe this is going to work. Maybe this isn't going to work where you want to position your career, because that's really the most important piece of this. Business acumen's great. Understanding how you can create values. Awesome. I preach those. But at the end of the day, you want to be more and more valuable every year to the company because that's how you get promoted. That's how you continue to have your salary rise is to be increasingly valuable. And so you want to be where the company wants to be. You want to have the capabilities that the company is looking for in order to grow, in order to improve. And that's going to be your best path to promotion. And the other thing, just really quickly, evaluate how the business monetizes technology and how the business creates value with technology. When you understand those two components of it, you're going to see what the most valuable things you can do in your current role are. Because those are the ones that line up with, number one, what the company can monetize, and number two, what it can leverage in order to create value. What you'll find almost immediately is that most companies from a technology standpoint are implementing technologies, kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping for the best. And you could really differentiate yourself if you begin to talk about this is a technology that aligns with the way we create value. This is an initiative that aligns with the way that we create value. This is one that isn't. This one doesn't. And here's what we can do to change that. Because your business model and your operating model are built a certain way right now. Initiatives don't always take into account the fact that the business model isn't built to monetize or isn't ideally built to monetize what it is that the company is creating. And when you begin to make suggestions from that perspective of how do we monetize this? How do we use this to create value? All of a sudden you begin to speak a different language and it's really important to do that if you want to understand the business and showcase your ability to do that. Vin, thank you very much. Oh, oh really, really good points. Uh, something for sure. <laughs> Go back and listen to, um, I guess at, at what point do you start like 
asking these type of questions to start figuring this out like because i mean you joined a company you got like onboarding and stuff to do like how do you go about gaining this information like do you how do you identify who's the right people to go to for this type of information um because i mean you know you might be in a startup that's 50 60 people you might be in an enterprise that's about a thousand plus people um costa was here from you day one week one i don't know why people are wasting their time not trying to understand this this is critical context particularly if you're if you've got a few years of experience right or a couple of years of experience it's critical context to understand as a junior, often a lot of those decision for like decision style impacts aren't really important to your job. If you're straight out of university, often that's not critically important to the decisions you make day to day because the decisions you're making day to day is based off the code in front of you, the data in front of you, right? A lot of those higher critical factors are given to you by someone with a bit more responsibility, typically your manager. It's still good to practice that skill while you're a junior when having those skills is not critical though. Because then Two years in, when you're no longer a grad, uh, you know, when you're stepping into a team as a core, when you're expected to mentor and give other people a bit of guidance, you should be really good at those skills by then. Two years in, right? This might sound brutal, but that's the expectation. When you're no longer the grad, there are going to be other grads. They're going to ask questions. Do you have the answers or is everything falling onto, like, I mean, that's a powerful way to show that you're capable of mentoring and capable of guidance as you grow in your career, right? So. Honestly, day one, week one, I don't see a situation why on your first week when you're talking to your manager, you're not asking for the context. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not trying to analyze and discuss the business and, well, play, be humble, right? You're not there to turn around and say, you're doing your business wrong. It's a rubbish strategy. Do it differently, right? You're not there yet, right? Wait, stop. Listen, the best, the best high-performing, like, Senior executives, heads of engineering, senior engineers, uh, principal engineers, whatever you want to call them, right? People at the top that work really, really, really well, they don't waste time trying to, uh, uh, they don't waste time in not trying to understand what's going on, right? So day one, week one, start that, start building that understanding and stop and listen, right? They take the time to make sure they actually get the lay of the land. If you're in a strategic position, that's your only job, right? That's your only job. If you're a head of engineering, you're a principal, a principal engineer. That is your only job. You need to understand that strategic initiative and the part that that takes in this company or product or service or whatever it is, right? Um, but if you're not in a like executive or head level, you're like you're a senior engineer, senior data scientist. It's valuable information so that you can make decisions uh, and you can bring up ideas that actually look ahead enough. Um, and if you're a grad, day one, week one, because now's the best time to learn how to do that. Don't waste time learning the thing, like, like not learning the things that you could, you can't learn that anywhere else. You can only learn that on the job, right? No one's going to teach you how to analyze the situation of a business. Like you're only going to figure that out on the job. So yeah, I don't see any reason not to start on week one. A quick follow-up question before we get to uh, Mikiko's comment here, uh, back that you posted. So yeah, so the, the, uh, the business, uh, the business canvas that you're talking about, this actual thing on 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 Wikipedia, I posted a link there, the business model canvas. So is it just a matter of printing out the canvas day one week one, going to your boss and saying, "Hey, look, I got this business model canvas. Just trying to get myself situated. Would you mind helping me fill this in, or at least point me to the right people to talk to?" Is it as simple as that, or do we need to like 
will people think we're weird printing out papers, trying to ask some questions? What are your thoughts on that? And then um, after you hear from me, we'll go to uh, Makita. Just play it by what whatever's comfortable to you, right? Like whatever's comfortable to you and whatever's right by the business. Obviously, on your day one, you're not going to get necessarily the product manager's, you know, uh, timetable all to yourself, right? Be be sensitive about when you ask those questions. And so I kind of say, day one, you should you should be thinking about it in the back of your mind. Week one, you get the lay of the land as to who the right people are to ask about these questions, right? Um, but yeah, build in whatever. I mean, if it's a whiteboard in at home that you're just drawing off and then you just take a picture, fine. If it's a, you know, real wall with post-it notes somewhere, if you guys have the office space uh, for you to like kind of say, yep, I own this whiteboard or this wall, go for it. Mirror board, whatever, PowerPoint presentation, whatever you want, whatever's easy to you. I find mirror boards are super easy. It really doesn't matter how you put it together, right? And there's a hundred of these, by the way, the one you found business model canvas is going to look slightly different to a lean business canvas, right? It's going to look different to the five others that I don't remember what the difference is, but they do the same damn thing. So, you know, like, like Makiko said, it's the same thing, just shaped differently. They might call it an ARR or they might call it a, you know, uh, a customer retention, whatever it is, right? It, they, they all roughly do the same thing. Just start wherever and then, yeah. Awesome. Kosa, thank you very much. Um, Kiko, let's go uh, to you. Sorry, my brain blanked out really quickly. Um, I will say, though, that there is a, so there, I guess there's two things. I, I do think there is like a, there are some roles for which if the business changes product or features, it, or how should I put this? not all roles are equally impacted by a change in strategy. So what do I mean by this? If you're in a DevOps or infrastructure team um, and not like front end, but you're just like back end infra. Um, so for example, like I'm in ML ops, right? Um, if the company decides to, for example, do more computer vision versus NLP models, right? Like there's a more of a use case for that. Um, it's not a hundred percent going to impact my job because the mandate for for my team is first off improve um, the like improve innovation and the ability to innovate, right? Um, in data science, machine learning products for Mailchimp. Um, so hypothetically, if for example we have different features that. Uh, use different kinds of models or have different kinds of pipeline architectures, like my team is mandated with being able to deal with it. <laughs> like that is really kind of our goal. It's to, it's to help the data scientists innovate. So the data scientists are much more strongly impacted by a change in product and features than like our MLOps like platform-ish team, right? But with that being said, right, if the company suddenly decided like, oh, we want to support like a streaming machine learning use case versus like something else. That's actually like a huge impact because right now we have like a minimum amount of infrastructure around streaming data, right? So that is like a huge, huge impact. So, but like if they want to change different models or features and it already fits into our existing pattern, like there's not a huge impact there, right? And something I've noticed that like is a lot of my friends who have gone jobs as data engineers at companies who have had layoffs recently, they have not been laid off. I think certain roles within engineering, they are a little bit more kind of like 
they can resist the the vagrancies of um, the business a little bit better than others. Um, there's also like, so there's that that component, right? Which is like certain roles, strategy does matter a little bit less in terms of it has less of an impact on whether or not you're still employed, right? Um, the second part is uh, understanding versus like being engaged in strategy. That is like a completely different thing as well. Like at every point in time, at every level, you should understand the strategy. Uh, but like, for example, if a junior engineer started getting involved in technologies, like in choosing technology vendors for a large company, or for example, like they started creating like new features or, or what have you, I would kind of look at that and go, okay, there's a like, there's a little bit something either either the company has a very flat structure, or for whatever reason, like there is not a structure and leadership and management there. Um, you know, so there's a difference in understanding strategy versus like actively getting engaged in it and like and and impacting it and having a voice at the table. I think everyone should aim to have a voice at the table, but I don't think um, I think there are certain times in one's career for which that might come off as being super aggressive as opposed to like, oh, this is a person who's kind of like taking leadership and taking charge, right? So that's the other caveat is that like, uh, if there are any junior engineers like listening to us going like, oh yeah, I need to start getting involved in the planning sessions. I would be like, first figure out like the lay of the land, like understand, you know, the culture, understand like your teammates and the communication and and then and and then create craft your strategy to get there right but not don't just jump in there starting to like swing opinions left and right and like oh i think the company should do this i think the company should do that i've seen junior engineers do that and man do they burn like the relationships with their staff and principal engineers so fast so very very fast so those are kind of two points um i would just kind of put out there Higo, thank you very much. Uh, let's hear the coast of it. Like just, just kind of like the direction of the conversation is going. Uh, you know, after we hear from coast of it, if nobody else has questions, uh, which by the way, if you do have a question, please drop the question in the comments, in the chat, whatever. Let me know. I'll be happy to add your question to queue. Uh, but after we hear from coast of here, I'm wondering, uh, you know, I'm going to be onboarding for a new job very soon here. I'm wondering, and a lot of people are. Uh, hopefully out there landing new jobs how do we how do we make the most of onboarding week right like uh, i feel like the conversation is kind of heading in that direction uh, but coastal was here from you first as in do you mean you're onboarding onto a new job or you're getting someone onboarded into your team you are onboarding into a new job uh but we'll table that question but uh, sure. i'd like to hear your, your initial comment for that one i actually thought that for once i was going to disagree with mikiko but i completely agree like, absolutely, and this is why I said stay humble, right? Uh, it's not about, there's a big difference between being involved in the strategy. On your first week, you're not involved in the strategy. I don't care what level you are. Right? You might be hired as the CEO, you're not involved in the strategy because you don't know Jack, right? Uh, stop, listen, understand, and figure out your role, right? What I mean is those tools are useful to understand the strategy how you behave and how you interact with the business and the team around you is the next critical bit. And you're gonna step out of line sometime, right? If you are super aggressive, yeah, you're gonna step out of line. You're gonna piss people off. Absolutely right. Just don't do that. Like try not to. If you do, okay, fine. I mean, I've, I've done it before. I'm pretty sure I've burnt an interview by doing something like that. Uh, and then I walked home that day and I'm like, that was way too aggressive. I need to turn that stuff down. I'm passionate about it, 
but I need to tone that down, right? Like it's just have that bit of self-awareness that you're not in a strategic position in every role you're ever going to be in, particularly as a junior. But yes, absolutely, tool for understanding your role tells you where you play in that, uh, in that, right? And at the end of the day, you might be talking nonsense until you get the lay of the land, right? Um, but the other thing that I thought I was going to disagree with Mikiko about was that not strategy doesn't affect all jobs. I agree, like directly, yes, I agree. Like strategy doesn't directly impact all jobs. But if you're, you know, uh, if you are an MLOps engineer and you've got data scientists who are suddenly under the pump because of a strategic change in in in, in the business, it just helps you build that uh, cause for empathy, right? Now, as so, like people who are typically like MLOps engine, uh, like seniors and managers, they've, they've had time under tension in the workforce to build empathy, right? We all do, we start off in really low EQ and eventually, I mean, mostly people grow in EQ, like business empathy as you go, right? But as a junior, that's often the thing that you lack most. So context and understanding helps you bridge that gap uh, rather than just, hey, I've got this, like, you know, the senior data scientist is after me. I'm, I'm a month into my job. I don't know why he's so pissed off about this. We're doing everything right. Like, you don't know the context behind why, what was right six months ago, what was right according to your work instructions, according to your protocols and everything that you've created uh, in the structure of the business that was right six months ago is no longer right because of a strategic change that happened two months ago, a month before you joined, right? Um, so again, it's about understanding whether you choose to, Try and play the strategy card is uh, well, that's up to you. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, 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 and I think sorry, being in the chat, it comes down to credibility, right? Like two people could literally be saying the same thing. If one person doesn't have, like, and credibility is not like an on-off switch, right? Like it's there's levels, right? But if some person like doesn't have credibility, and and some senior people don't have credibility. Some le some leaders don't have credibility, right? Like I'm sure all the people at Data Robot, like the CEO, like who did effectively, it seems like insider trading or like who sold off all their stocks and basically like there's a whole, that whole mess, right? Like that is credibility that is gone, at least in my book, um, you know, or let's say for example, like a junior engineer, like if they say something like the first month of that they're hired, and you know may and, and and i'm not saying that like they're a junior engineer who's like a career changer for example right but they are just like fresh out of fresh spanking new out of college just minted um i would kind of look at them a little bit like i give them a little bit of side eye if they kind of start saying like you should do this you should do that because it's like mm. but you have no experience like informal or formal or don't stop. Um, um, yeah, he distracted me. Um, totally. I mean, like credibility, and, and you were saying this in the chat as well, it comes down to listening first, right? The other dangerous side of this is um, you're, you're new to the job, and this happens to really enthusiastic grads, particularly in the machine learning and data science space. They're jumping into a company that's never done it before, and they're used to like, Traditional ways of doing things and like, oh, I could totally solve that with computer vision, right? And then you say something out of your passion and enthusiasm and your graduate understanding, and here's the rub, yeah? Your, your senior engineer is sitting there going, that's a dumb idea, please shut up. 
let's say it to you in the meeting. The VP that's sitting in the room is going to be like, damn, we can do that? Cool, let's do that, right? Because they might not understand why you can't do that. And now you got to backpedal the crap out of it and you're only a month in, right? Um, so it's really about understanding that context. And absolutely listening comes like first. Just just listen. Get the lay of the land. But what I, what I'm, essentially what I was saying was be aggressive with your listening, right? If, if we want to craft this into a, into a slogan, aggressively listen. People aren't going to just come up to you and tell you the strategy, right? People aren't going to come up to you and tell you the business context. You got to ask, right? Sometimes you got to ask. And sometimes you're like, okay, how does this sound, right? Hey, uh, product manager who's like crazy busy jumping between meetings. I need 45 minutes for you to explain to me the business strategy for this product. Versus, hey, PM, I've been thinking about this. I think I get a grasp of what our business strategy is. I've put together uh, a, a simple canvas. Can you take a look at it? Well, it'll only take you 45 minutes. It's the same 45 minutes, by the way. Uh, it'll only take you 45 minutes. Can we have a chat? They're suddenly invested in improving someone who's already showing that motivation to listen, someone who's showing that motivation to know more than just the code in front of them, right? So the takeaway from all of this is aggressively listen, if that's fair to say. Yeah, I like that. I like the way, the, the, the way you phrase that, aggressively listen. Uh, all right. Uh, anybody have questions on on anything? Any comments? Shout out to uh, to the new joiners, Ali. Good to see you. Love me. Good to see you as well. Uh, and uh, and Alexis, good to have you here as well. Um, any comments or questions based on the previous discussion? Um, checking LinkedIn. I'm checking. Uh, oh yeah, I got some uh, questions coming in from from LinkedIn. Um, but before we do that, any any anybody got any thoughts to add on the previous discussion? Let me know. On the strategy, on the strategy, I mean, this is, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I mean, right now I'm also kind of in a strategy slash measurement role. And this is like my month three or four, and I'm still kind of not at a place where I know what the strategy is because I'm still like listening, you know, um, because it's, it, you know, the part of the challenge is because when you have sometimes, you know, KPIs clearly defined, it's hard to venture and talk strategy when you don't know the lay of the land and say, can I challenge this, you know? Um, so part of the job is to really understand the history as much as you can and why we got where we got, you know? So I guess I'm also standard in that process because, you know, you hear a lot about people who would say, hey, this KPI is bad, this KPI sucks, blah, blah, blah. But there's a history that I'm missing right now that I'm sure somebody smarter than me and a group of people had figured this out and said, let's go with what we've got, you know? So to that extent, I, I don't think I'll have a strategy for another three or six months, but right now I do know that I have a lot of conversations laid out which will help me figure out why we're here, you know? So, um, but there are also, you know, people who jump in their first month. And I don't think it has to do with their level, right? I mean, if you think that, hey, I'm gonna just revamp everything, everything is bad and this is not working and that's not working. You're right, you know, I have somebody who's kind of I'm working with who started and, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that's going to go, but you know, it's, it's, you, you need to understand and respect what you've landed yourself in and why it's working for what it's working. Um, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of listening, I, I totally agree with what, you, what you're saying. Um, my sweet spot has been around a year, you know, um, nine months to a year is where I feel like, okay, I think I got this. Um, but also the expectation management of strategy is an important part because you can say, hey, we've been here, I understand this. But if you're taking a detour from what is currently happening, the expectations around it um, that need to be managed is very important. Um, and that means a lot more conversations and explaining yourself over and over again about why you think this is better than that. And as long as you don't have that buy-in, you're just talking strategy and not doing strategy. So, you know, those, those are the parts, but, you know, uh, it becomes even more difficult when you have a lot of infrastructure involved and data involved and all these data ops teams involved, analytics teams and consulting teams and to kind of reframe it. You can't re-engineer everything here, right? So you kind of, I, I love working with the space that I've, I'm given and let's see what we can do with, with the framework we have. So, so uh, uh, most of the time there is no strategy is something that Mishiko uh, said. And, uh, uh, then like to, uh, things like the, the ultimate strategy guy here. If you guys haven't heard Vince got this dope strategy for data scientists course that you guys should check out. Um, I think you're kicking off a cohort sometime soon. So go ahead and drop a link there. I'll be sure to uh, include that on the uh, chat as well. Uh, sorry, the LinkedIn and the uh, show notes. Um, then most of the time there is no strategy. What do you do when you walk in somewhere there's no strategy? Run? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, it depends who you are. The reason I have a company and I've had a company for 10 years is because a lot of companies have no strategy, especially around technology. They have a business strategy, but they have no, no real integration between what they're doing from a technology standpoint and what they're doing from a business standpoint. The two almost run on separate tracks and they're not always parallel tracks. Oftentimes there's some detours on one side that don't get reflected on the other. And that's how the disconnect starts is you have technology organizations and Akiko kind of summed it up. It's not right, but there are tons of places in the technology organization where it doesn't matter what changes, it doesn't matter how bad it's going. It's like your job has never been touched. And that's a really bad sign. If you talk to strategists, that's like the worst thing possible. What you're hearing here where people are saying, I have no idea what the strategy is. If you talk to strategists in the business, like that's a KPI is percentage awareness of strategy. How many business units know what the strategy of the business is? And if you have a low, real low score on that, I can tell you what happens now. It's, it's not good. If you're, if you have business units that don't understand strategy, how are they supposed to execute? How are they going to implement something they don't understand? How are people at the front line going to be making decisions based on the business's priorities if you don't know what they are? And so that's, you know, and Makiko was too nice to say it, but when you say most times there aren't, there isn't a strategy, it's like almost, I would say 60 to 70% of all businesses. And if you start getting down to the startup level, more like 95% 
of all businesses just don't have a strategy. You ask them what the business model is, you're probably going to get a good answer. You ask what the operating model is, you're going to start getting some hand-waving in a PowerPoint presentation. You start asking about individual things like pricing strategy, marketing strategy, you're going to be um, there's this person that I'm going to have you talk to. They're going to call you. You're never going to hear from them or anyone again. They're going to put you in a closet somewhere for asking that question. And it's businesses succeed by fortune alone sometimes, just by pure luck. There is no strategy. And what's crazy is over the last five years, you haven't needed one because everything was growing. When everything's growing, you don't need a strategy. Everything's growing. So are you. You can mess up catastrophically and still grow because everything's growing. Not like that anymore. All of a sudden, strategy is going to get really, really important. And so when you begin to look at if you're walking into a place that has no strategy at all, if, you know, it's an opportunity for you or, hey, call me, but it's an opportunity for you to begin to introduce and begin to ask questions because like everyone's been saying, like, you know, you can sound really annoying if you start telling people what to do, but if you start asking questions, that's the way strategists work is we begin to ask questions and we find a question that you, you don't have an answer to. That's what we sell you is the answer to that question. And you can begin to, even as an engineer, just begin to ask intelligent questions. And when you find questions, no one wants to answer, you found a problem and you may even be able to solve that problem with technology, which creates an opportunity for you. So that's, you know, and it's, like everybody's been saying, day one, you're not a strategist. But understand that if you don't know what the business strategy is, and if nobody prioritizes explaining how the business works, how it makes money, you know, talking to the onboarding, if that's not part of the onboarding process, if they don't walk you through the product lines, if they don't talk to you about the customers, if they don't explain what each one of the business units does and who you interact with in each one of the business units, whoa, it's just not a mature business. Not every company does that with onboarding, but they should. Yeah, dude. Like, uh, well, first off, I just want to say shout out to Greg Copio. I haven't seen you in forever, man. Good to have you here, Greg. Um, but yeah, like it, a huge part of onboarding week is going around and just talking to a lot of people. And very rarely have I ever gotten like just a quick two, three sentence summary about okay, you're talking to this person, but here's the the unit they're in, here's what they're responsible for, right? So then I could at least come up with some halfway decent questions or talking points. Um, you know, I've been in a startup world for a little bit and just being tossed into one-on-one and like having no agenda, no clue what this person does. Uh, it's just like, why? This is just a waste of the week. Uh, why not prep me a little bit? Um, and I've also been at a, at a startup uh, very recently where I, when I asked about strategy, especially for developer relations strategy, I was told, Oh, don't worry about strategy. Just go do things. Um, <laughs> we don't need you spending a month planning strategy. Just go out there and uh, start executing on a bunch of things. Good luck with that. Um, don't I mean? Don't worry yeah. about what you're executing. <laughs> Just do something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Makiko, let's hear from you. Uh, Greg, uh, let me know if, uh, if if you want to get caught up on the discussion uh, in the chat. We'll, uh, we'll get you caught up. Uh, keep go for it. I, I would actually love to hear Greg and Vin's take on this because Russell had a good question about what do you do if there is no strategy and how do you try to get strategy into the room? And my cynical brain is going like, run. But I feel like there's got to be a better way. I don't know. I think 
I mean, so the company I'm at, like we we've gone through it's been a, a rail roller roller coaster every year, you know, uh for a lot of business stuff. And I'm still an IC. And I'm trying to pick my battles. And on the one hand, people keep telling me, you know, you should go leadership, people management, all that. And I'm like, no, I want to stay on the technical ladder. But, you know, sometimes when you just see stuff burning and you're like, I need to go fix it. I need to go make it better. And I'm like, at what point do you do you give up? Do you keep going? Do I, I don't know, do I give in to the thing that I'm good at? but I kind of hate and run away from the thing that I actually really love doing, but I'm terrible at that's being an engineer. So, you know, love it. But apparently I'm like really terrible at it. Um, I don't know. So I'd be kind of curious to hear from Greg and Vin on this because it, it does feel like sometimes it's like, I don't know if I'm like just a complete idiot and there's just like stuff I'm missing or or what's going on? I don't know. Can, can confirm you are not an idiot. Uh, last two weeks ago when Vin and I were driving to San Francisco, I, I took Vin on the, uh, the the river road. We got lost a little bit. Uh, nice drive though. But we spent a good half hour talking about why Mikiko is so smart and how she's so smart. No. <laughs> uh, but let's hear, from, uh, let's hear from Greg on this one. Greg, good to see you, man. Uh, first off, how's vacation? How's your time off? How's everything going, man? And then, uh, then we'll get into that question. It was so good to see you guys. I, I wanted to make sure I showed up. Uh, it's been a while. So I've been taking times off. I've been, you know, connecting with a few of you guys offline too. So it's great to see uh, uh, familiar faces as well. But yeah, um, thanks for uh, bringing me into this question, uh, uh, Mikiko. Um, I, I find that, you know, to questions like where strategies doesn't exist, uh yeah so 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 real quick there's a question here i really wanted to go so i was like you're talking about uh um yeah i'm gonna slack you Nikiko. I'll, I'll slack you but i really wanted to that i really wanted to go to uh south lake city so uh but can't make it this time um so in 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 workplace where there's no strategy what do you do like how do you figure things out and to, to me, you, you, there's never the right or wrong answer, right? It depends on how you, it depends on what matters to you. Um, sometimes at the moment or sometimes in the long term. Uh, but what I find helpful is having people talking to you or guiding you through. There's always that one person who's been through where you are right now. Uh, and, and at work, I, what I find super helpful is having two kind of people. Uh, one, you have a mentor, uh, two, you have sponsors. Uh, the mentor is the person you can get ugly with. You can show your flaws and you, you can discuss like how you feel and at the moment where you see yourself, et cetera. And you can present, you know, the things and, and the mentor's role is to, not give you answers necessarily, but you know, help you see things in different perspectives. So maybe you know you're you're saying you know managing people is not for you, et cetera, et cetera. 
but a mentor can help you see things in a different perspective where there may be an answer for you that you weren't thinking about. So always look out for people like this. And, and maybe there are there are some folks in the company that are ICs that have been ICs for 20 years and they've seen the highs and lows. They they know how to navigate and they're happy in life. You know, find those people who would be willing to to, to mentor you where you can get ugly with them and, and discuss those things. And then you have the sponsors. Those are the ones where you always look nice and present the good side of the things that you're deploying. And these sponsors are the ones who are elevating what you're doing to other people. And most of the time, these sponsors are folks who are leading you know, big departments, et cetera, et cetera, and they become your champions. Uh, you have monthly meetings with them. Uh, and you can ask them for advice too. So most of the time when you're deploying something, you ask them for their blessing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you can ask them about, you know, career advice as well. Uh, they can guide you through things because they've seen things as well. So there's never really like a, a, a hard answer and there shouldn't be, because if you answer this question today, uh, in, in two months, you may find yourself asking yourself that question again and finding a new answer to it, right? So. Uh, in two years, your goals may change and keep it dynamic, right? So keep it dynamic, but know that you shouldn't do it alone. So uh, uh, in, in, in this journey. So ho hopefully that helped. Greg, thank you very much. Uh, any follow-up questions or add-ons or anything to that point, do let me know. Or if anybody's got any other questions, uh, Christian, kicking off the uh, discussions that we've been, we've been going off, we've been ripping an hour off uh, uh, office man thanks uh christian let me just turn it to you real quick any follow-up questions based on what you're hearing any, anything you need clarification on no i think it's all really good i've got to kind of take this back re-listen to it and process it but it's been great so thank you awesome man well thanks for kicking off that discussion uh anybody else got questions or comments on anything then go for it yeah i just want to real quick Mikiko, you're you're going to come over to the dark side. It's either leadership or strategy for you. You said the words, and I can tell it, it, it's one line that everyone says, and you're going to fight it for about two years, and then you're going to accept a job either uh, in strategy and product management, or you're going to accept the leadership role. It's two years from now. It's one of the two. And you said it. I, like, how do you watch things get messed up? How do you watch things that are broken? It, yep. I'm sorry. You you said the words. That means it is inevitable. You will because you, there are two types of engineers. There are engineers who can not let problems go at the engineering level, but as soon as they pick their head up, like it can be as dysfunctional and fire and train wreck, and they're like, nope, back to the engineering. Doesn't matter. You know, they do what needs to get done to band aid it to keep things going. And then there's the type of engineer who looks up and goes, no, 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 uh -uh, nope. And there is, like I said, you either end up leadership or you end up strategy because you can't look up, see a train wreck and not extend your engineering skills and your engineering nature to fix and to save this thing that you know is on fire and could be better. So that's, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're coming over to the dark side. Yeah, it's it's funny because between like Greg's like Greg's like explanation, your explanation, I it's clarifying that like unfortunately I, I think I think because of the roller coaster stuff going on with the business and like we required and all that, we lost actually so we still have some sponsorship layer, but I think we lost actually a lot of that 
like senior technical leadership like not not like senior senior like vp but i mean like like staff principal managers directors like we lost a lot of that layer and literally anyone who had like four plus years of tenure 50 percent of them are gone right and everyone that's left is kind of like in that two-year mark so i feel like that actually is like a pretty good encapsulation of I think where my head is at, where there's definitely still sponsors, but I think myself and a lot of people there lost mentors, for better or worse. Yeah, I'm uh, not going to get you in trouble because I, I really could, but there may be something going on with the company that acquired you that may have been going on for over 20 years. It, you when yeah, I heard you were acquired, I can tell you I was not happy. I'll, I'll just put it that way. I, I was that was not the company I would have hoped would have acquired you, <laughs> because there's yeah. a like I said, I'm not going to get you in trouble, but there's a history. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's 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 unfortunate, and I think you're right. Like for me, it's it's really it's hard seeing people suffer, just straight up, and also suffering because there's like structure and uncertain like there's a lack of structure and uncertainty day to day that's like very hard for me to look at i always feel like technical problems we can always solve it we can figure it out but i feel like with people it's like oh you know everyone's got got families and and so much stuff going on that i'm like oh we don't need more of this after two really tough years so yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna live in self denial for a little bit longer. But yeah, you're I don't know. You're probably right, Vin. Probably at some point. <laughs> Ali, my man, let's hear from you. Good to see you here. Yeah, good to see you, Harpreet, uh, and all of you guys. Uh, <clears throat> I guess I I have a slightly different uh, question. Uh, question maybe we'll be moving in a different uh, uh, tangent with this question, but. Uh, so it's 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 for I guess everybody in, in, in the in the group whoever wants to take it. Uh, um, but it's more like understanding, um, um, like it's it's more like a career decision, like you know, question. So uh, as as some of you know, you know, um, I have a background in data and software, been doing it you know for several years now. Uh, but uh, but more recently, like you know, especially on LinkedIn and on Twitter and all these other platforms, I'm seeing this like huge burgeoning, you know, economy of content creators and you know, lots of people doing different things, people building their personal brands. So I guess my question is more like what advice would I guess the I guess especially maybe the more senior folks would give for somebody, you know, like myself or other people like myself out there who are kind of like in this mid-career space, you know, they've spent, you know, several years over a decade working with data and software. They still like it, you know, they may even have a cushy job, you know, at a, at a good company, but uh, but they want to do something different, you know, <laughs> they want to venture out and, you know, just be, become the underdog and see what, what they can do. So, yeah, I just want to pick the community's brain on what what advice, you know, would, would they give. Uh, cushy, cushy job being a uh, senior machine learning scientist at Microsoft. Uh, I feel like a lot of people would want to hear what you have to say. So uh, just share, man. Just share your, your knowledge and experience, dude. Like, 
I'm not one to, to speak on this content creator stuff. I barely know what I'm doing. But uh, <laughs> Greg, Vin, uh, Mikiko, uh, you know, you guys, you guys probably have a lot more insight to, to share for me. Um, but I mean, there's, there's lots of ways to, to leverage this, right? Like part of the reason I transitioned into career and developer relations was because I realized that I didn't like really working with business stakeholders. I liked working with data scientists and enabling data scientists and helping them be better. Uh, and so a role in developer relations, I get to create content. I get to do the stuff I like, which is like, I love marketing. I love social media, but I love doing it in a very, very technical uh, way um, to people that I can actually relate to. So that's maybe one option, opportunity to, to think about is, okay, if you've done, if you feel like you've walked that individual contributed path or this that data science path, machine learning path, and now you're ready to start doing some more creative, interesting work, I mean, not to say data science machine learning isn't interesting, but maybe look into like, you know, developer relations because then you get to build your brand and get paid for it at the same time. Like this is literally your job. Um, but I'll pause there. Uh, we keep this as heartbeat code for I hate people. It's not true. Uh, but let's hear from uh, let's hear from from Greg uh, on this point, and then uh, I want to hear from from Vin as well, dude. Like, yes, like probably heard me say this hundred times, dude. I've been following Vin since like 2017, 2018. He's like the OG, like my original influencer in data science, uh, and probably the most consistent from that time period. There's only I can name about ten people that I was following back then, and Vin and Kate and Kristen are like the only ones still going. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot that have, have uh, dropped off in the last four years. So um, after after Greg, we'll, we'll go to uh, Vin. Uh, so true, plus one on that. Vin is like the, I think if consistency was a person, um, I, 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 I would call it Vin. So he's, uh, he's, he's unchanging, he's an unchanging force in the, in in this world and and one thing i like is is you know that the, the strategy behind the message right there's 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 that angle that you don't find everywhere and that's that's what you want to emulate right um but ali to your point i mean you, you have to figure out like why right and and people people have different reasons to be on social media um whether it's for fun or just for the heck of it you know sharing sharing um knowledge or learning from others um but heartbreak brought up such a great point is that you know at your position um people are predisposed to listen to what you have to say so the first thing you need to do is be aware of your responsibility to the community in a sense of you know that you can lead or mislead so be aware of that. Um, and then the next thing is once you're aware of your position of, you know, uh, you know that's already set up to become a follower in the first place because of where you are, you, you have to focus on, okay, what do I want to talk about uh, and why? So who's my audience? Um, how do I test the waters? It's, 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 you know, it's not a, don't, don't, don't take it, uh, I guess too seriously, right? Um, as you go, uh, your best ally is time as well. Uh, time will tell, you know, how people react to what you say. You'll have time to adjust. Um, in 2018, 2019, 
you know, there could be, you know, subjects that were uh, subjects of the of the year that people hopped on and grew their audience very fast. I can speak for myself, for example, AIML 2019, December, I started saying things and then I, I joined uh, uh, Amazon and then, you know, people started listening, et cetera. Did I know much about AI? No. I was just curious, learning and then sharing my learnings. And then I grew over time. Um, and then after all, you know, as you grow, you may find people coming to you for opportunities or you may create those opportunities for yourself. Maybe you want to become a writer. Um, I know somebody hates medium here. I, I can't remember if it's Van or whatever, but whatever platform you choose to, you know, uh, aggregate your, your, your content, because you must be aware that, you know, once you post on LinkedIn, it's no longer yours necessarily. So if you want to create some sort of funnel, uh, you have to have a strategy for that in, in LinkedIn and any other platforms, they don't make it easy for you to, to, to own that content and transfer it across platforms that easily. So you have, to, you have to learn, you have to interview other people who've done it before you to understand what you want to do. Uh, then you can go the book route, right? So uh, who do you want to help, right? So maybe you have some uh, unique ways of telling some stories or understanding some technical uh, subjects that you want to use some sort of strategy, maybe short books that are uh, easily consum consumable. Uh, that's one thing I've evaluated at some point. So, um, but at the end of the day, uh, you, you'd have to uh, make peace with whether you want to do this for money or whether you want to do it for uh, another reason, whether it's for your brand where Ali can become uh, the face of a company tomorrow. When that company looks for you in terms of the next leader, they're going to also look at your presence in, on the market. Like what is the pulse for, of the market saying about Ali? And if you have a presence, I believe this is one way of gaining trust from your company, the company you work for in terms of, you know, putting you to that position, right? Because you already have a high uh, follower base on the outside. So uh, test the waters, talk to people and, 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 you know, take your time, figure it out and, and you'll be fine. Hope that helps. Oh, oh, amazing points. Thank you so much, Greg. Um, yeah, and we think about the types of opportunities and the type of people you want to attract to yourself, right? So, you know, like late, like just before this, dude, like I spent the last two hours, literally I had like four back to back to back to back meetings, just talking with founders and venture capitalists about developer relations and what it takes to, to be a good developer relations professional and how to, you know, start and plan strategy for DevRel. And, you know, that's a small tweak I made in, in not even changing my LinkedIn content, but a couple of words on my LinkedIn headline. And now I'm attracting these opportunities that I want, right? I want to be talking more to founders. I want to be talking more to venture capitalists about how to you know, create DevRel strategy. Um, so think about the type of opportunities and type of people you want to attract to yourself, right? I know it's tempting to um, want to cater to like the lowest common denominator, which is let me just create content on how to break into data science. Does the world really need more content like that? I don't think so. Not especially coming from like a senior ML scientist at Microsoft. I think the world needs like stories from like a senior machine learning scientist at Microsoft that'll make them better, not how to get into data science, right? Um, so like you'd be doing a great disservice if you just talk about how to break into data science. That's my two cents. So let's hear from Vin on this one. My God, I'm old. That's, that's how I'm gonna lead this off is my God, I'm old. <laughs> 
I, I think about when I started in content, it wasn't even called content. Like when they started calling some of us influencers, we're all what? No, I'm a data scientist. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? It's it's weird. That's all I can tell you is it's weird because it doesn't make any logical sense. So if you're getting into the content space, you almost have to take off. Uh, you know, it's almost like watching a really bad movie. I think that's exactly what it is. You know, when they say so it's like a bad sci-fi movie. When they say something at the very beginning and you go, that's not even close to right. Or they show the hacker with 18 screens and they're like installing Python libraries. But that is how content is. It doesn't make any sense. Social media doesn't make any sense. Engagement doesn't make any sense. So you have to almost like put all the stuff that everybody tells you is important off to the side and begin with some sort of purpose and some sort of message. Nothing that you do online matters. Everything that's important that's going to drive your recommend your reputation happens offline. It's what you do in real life. And so it's not like you're going to stop being who you are at Microsoft. It's not like you're going to stop being the professional that you are. You're going to continue to do things in the real world. And in one way, shape, or form, that's going to lead to a better reputation online, better content online. That's going to lead to more followers. Because what you're talking about are the problems that you're running into, the things that you are looking at and saying, I don't think we talk about this enough. I think we need to. So that's why I'm saying this. Some of those messages are going to fall on absolutely no one's ears. You will literally be yelling into a void and five people who have been where you are will be like, yeah, and nobody else crickets. But if you continue to talk about the things that are important, more people will begin to see it. More people will begin to understand it. And you build your brand by being someone who has a unique message, who has a unique voice, who has real experience. Don't be one of those, you know, you know, I want to talk about Web 7.0. No, you've never done Web 7.0. It doesn't even exist. What are you, are you going like black holes that way? Come on. So you know, talk about things that you're doing. And especially working at Microsoft, you're working about eight years ahead of everybody else. And what I realized in 2014, when I started talking, was I was working with Fortune 100 companies, and I was encountering problems that everybody else was going to encounter in four to five years. Because I realized I was three years behind Google, and, you know, four years behind some things that Meta had run into. And I began to realize, you know, these were just problems that I got to first because I had to solve them in order to make things work. And that's how my brand started. Part of it was the technical side, but the other part of it was strategy. Like I couldn't get anything done if I didn't get the C-suite involved in this. And so that became the strategy arm of my business. And that's what I even to today talk about. So everything that you do offline is what matters. Never look at social media like it matters at all because it doesn't. What it's going to do is begin to open doors for you. And like I said, it's not going to make any sense. It is the strangest thing in the world. I've never had to market. I just do social media and clients give me a call and say, hey, can you help me out? I've gotten small businesses, mid-sized businesses. I've had a CTO from a Fortune 500 company just cold call me. Say, hey, I read one of your posts. Here's the problem that we're having. Is this something you handle? Like that was the sales cycle. And so there are so many different types of opportunities that come your way 
it's like our preet saying you have to really focus the opportunities to be the ones that you want do you want to you know have a side hustle those are the types of opportunities that you want to focus on attracting to you do you want to improve your reputation so that you are brought in as a media personality i mean i've had i've had network television stations say can you come in and be our data science consultant or ai consultant and that scares me to death so no i'm not going to do that <laughs> i don't want to be i can handle like 2000 people you tell me that i'm going to be on tv with 25000 that's that's too big for me and so you're hearing like i know what i want to say yes to and i know what i want to say no to when you go into content creation you go in you funnel opportunities to you you know what to say yes to you know what to say no to and you build content based on what you do in real life and all that's the recipe and it's you know when you talk about consistency that's also it because i i, I mean i started the same time as ronald van loon bernard marr uh kirk bourne carly gentry renee t uh, just you know people that were there like a year or two before i was and most of us are still here because we've just been consistent with it and we've been able to monetize it the entire time we've always had an objective for social media it's not only to teach but there's also a monetization strategy there's also the types of opportunities that we want to attract to ourselves and you can't get up into the hype like when somebody calls you an influencer smile thank you that's wonderful but no, don't don't start believing it cuz that's when people get nuts i've watched people literally lose their minds and their identities on social media because five or six people said, yeah, you're an influencer and their stuff gets seen by a hundred thousand or a million people. And, you know, you, you watch their evolution over two months and they just devolve into somebody that no longer does anything useful in the real world. All they do is push content and it starts getting weird. And you can really, you like, you watch people lose their audiences over the course of a year or two, because it just it gets weird watching and listening to what they say and what they do. It's so Remember, like real life, social media. <laughs> Don't ever let the two, never let the two overlap because it, that's not real. That's weird. It doesn't make any sense. That is, unless you're meeting up with people from social media that you met at a brewery, then that's cool. Uh, <laughs> that's a good crossover. Um, uh, but then, if you have any opportunities to do stuff on TV, let me know. Man, I'm trying to be the Neil deGrasse Tyson of machine learning and deep learning. Like, like literally, like this is a, this is a grand vision I have for the brand of Purpose Purple. You know how you got Neil deGrasse Tyson on Cosmos and Marcus Dussel-Toy doing like math stuff on BBC. That's what I want to be. I want to be that guy on TV talking about like deep learning and AI stuff. Uh, that that is the ultimate vision. So if you're watching this and you need uh, and, and Vince busy. And can't do your TV thing, call out me. Uh, care back to you, Ali. Uh, or we'll go to Makiko. Uh, Let, let's, let's follow up with uh, Ali, then go to Makiko. I just want to say a huge thank you to Wayne and Greg and I mean, fantastic, you know, very, very thorough, very comprehensive, you know, feedback. So, really, really appreciate it, guys. And yeah, look forward to continuing to learn and, you know, work with you guys. So, thanks again. Makiko, go for it. I think social media is also like, it's a. <clears throat> It's kind of a low value way to also test the kind of work that you want to do. Like I, like for me, for example, my interest is I want to build a body of work to eventually sort of go up the technical leadership path before I jump over to the dark side. Um, you know, um, 
but eventually probably long long term if i don't i don't know if maybe i will this will happen after i jump to the dark side or before like my interest is in like in creating educational resources that are like fun and accessible um as well as kind of like helping people sort of grow in that area right and the content stuff it's interesting because like i've i've tried to do like the short like really short snippets like on LinkedIn, Twitter. But what I found is that at this point, I'm gravitating more towards like longer form stuff or um, more like end-to-end -end code projects or even kind of videos. So, but I wouldn't have figured that out if I hadn't like at least tried it. So I think one thing that is kind of hard is like when you get started, it's, and you know, really amazing content creators like some of the ones we have on this call. Um, it's really tempted to kind of do a comparison, like, oh my God, my, my audience size is only this big and all that jazz. So I think that's one thing I did have to kind of talk myself out of is just to go like, look, what what is the goal? Like right now for me, the goal is to build a body of work. Um, I don't have like a business plan outside of that. So it's not super important for me to set up the funnel. Eventually it probably will be, but I think if, when I focus on the body of work, it's a lot more fun and it's a lot more, it's a lot less anxiety inducing, um, you know? So I think content creation is great. I also think in general, it's good if people have hobbies, um, like something that I didn't really love about like the hustle and, and grind culture about Silicon Valley is that it basically was like focused on someone predicating their entire identity on like their job or their career. And then when you get laid off, that is like so hard so content creation can also be a way of making that network and relationships with other people and being able to see the forest of the trees. Like I feel so relaxed when I meet up with people like Greg and, and, and Vin and Harpreet. Like they kind of remind me of like the fun parts, honestly, of being like an engineer working in ML and AI instead of like crying and watching like, <laughs> watching Kubernetes pods go down on Slack and getting those notifications. Or like, you know, help me a, a data scientist, like once again, it's like they're struggling to install something that is like a library in a virtual environment and you just start pulling your hair out because you're like, oh my God, these are such small problems, but they're taking hours to solve. So content creation sometimes when you just kind of go into and just have fun with it and like you use it to connect with people. At that point, it is like, it is so fun. It's still kind of fun, right? I'm still early stage, but um, I think it's just, it's such a great litmus test. So, you know, I encourage everyone to just kind of like do something else like outside of work. Um, Cause at the end of the day, work will lay you off as a percentage, you know, they won't care about you. So. Nikiko, thank you very much. And I don't know why I'm just now realizing that uh, me, Nikiko and Vin did not take a picture when we were hanging out together uh, a couple weeks ago. That was my bad, should have done that. Um, but yeah, dude, like, just, just promise me you won't quit your job in data science to teach other people how to get jobs in data science. Those are the worst kind of data scientists. Uh, nope, never mind. Uh, Y'all, that's it. We're going to call it a wrap with that. My friends, thank you so much for being here. For over the last couple of hours, my wife just walked in. We are going out for dinner. She just quit her job as well. She's starting a new one soon. Starting her own practice, Romy. There you go, girl. Uh, Y'all, that's it uh, for this one. Have a good rest of the evening. Have a good afternoon, weekend, whatever. Uh, and remember, my friends, you got one life on this planet. Why not try to do something big? Cheers, everyone. <laughs>